Good morning, and welcome to Sunday morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and I welcome you to this day of worship, Sabbath, and celebration. As we edge ever more into the fall, we are reminded again that this is God's world, and for that, we give thanks. So I invite you to join us as we celebrate and worship today our God of joy, grace, and love. Come on in. Today's first reading is from Revelations chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve as God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of John. We are in kind of a strange place for this time in a year, in the year. But listen, as we read what may be familiar words, we are in John 18, 33 through 37. That is John 18, 33 through 37. Listen again with fresh ears. Then Pilate entered the headquarters, again summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? Pilate responded, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what plans do y'all have when you are 95 years old? Right? I don't know what exactly I'll be doing, if I'll be doing anything at all. But if I am still present in this earth, I'm probably not working. 
probably choosing to do what I wish to do, probably not having 400 engagements a year. You know who fits that bill? Queen Elizabeth II. She is 95 and she has over 400 engagements a year. That is at least one every day, 365 around the year. They could be ceremonies, they could be charity events, they could be presentations. She is busy. But an interesting fact, in the 1980s, when they were getting ready to film a national uh, memorial, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, they were doing a, um, a, dry, a dry run, doing a dress rehearsal for that event. And the queen is there, as everybody else is, and the sun kept getting in her eyes. She was melting in her queenliness, and she said, no, I'm out. And so the producer of this segment from the BBC looked around. The people immediately surrounding her were all six feet tall and above. Well, she is five foot two, and that wouldn't quite work for the angles and the shadows and the light and all that. So he looked and saw one of his own employees, a woman by the name of Ella Slack. And she was five feet, just two feet shorter than the queen. And she said, she was asked if she would be a stand-in for the queen. She said, sure. And since then, and since the 80s, Ella Slack has been the constant stand-in for the queen, so she doesn't have to daily go to all of these dress rehearsals, all of these practices. She has to know, the queen has to know what she's doing, but she doesn't have to waste all that time in all of those rehearsals. Now, you may think that's a pretty cool job, and I think it probably is, but she's not paid a penny. But what she does get is the opportunity to meet the royal family, often visiting dignitaries who don't have stand-ins, who have to be at the rehearsal. She gets to ride in the royal carriage. The only thing she doesn't get to do is sit on the throne. A stand-in for the queen. Today, as we look at our king and what it means for Christ to be the king, one of our calls today is to be a stand-in for Christ in this world now. So let's take a look at our scripture from today. We are in John's gospel. We are in the 18th chapter. And as I said, Pilate, what? Pontius Pilate, why are we focusing on a conversation between he and Jesus that normally happens in the spring preacher? That's Easter stuff. And you're right, it is. But today, as we celebrate again the last day of our church or our liturgical calendar, it focuses on the supreme power of Christ being Lord of all, and in today's terminology, the King of all. And this interaction with Pilate is all about who is king, who is in charge, and of what kingdoms. So again, where this story, this passage takes place is at the end of Thursday and beginning of Good Friday. So Jesus has already 
been with the disciples at the Last Supper. He has already been betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has already been arrested and has been taken to the high priests of the time and now sent to Pilate. Poor Pilate. Do we cut him slack or do we not? Well, I'll let you decide. So the things that we know about Pilate is that he was the Roman governor who was set over Judea, that area of Jerusalem, Israel. My guess is it wasn't the most promising and prestigious appointment. We see the Jews are fanatical, the Romans thought, in their religion, their ability to cause trouble because of that and in obedience to what they say is their religion. And it's hard to quell these Jewish followers of this God. So maybe Pilate was assigned here and thought, gosh, if I can just get through a couple of years of this, maybe they'll move me on to a better appointment. So Pilate thinks, I will come on after they bring me in, which he did. Remember, they are occupying force in the city and in the area. Roman power and might. And so he started off with power and might. So the first thing he did was to order his soldiers to go into the temple and take images of Caesar. That is a no-no. Not only does it defile the temple for our Jewish friends, but the second commandment, no idols, no graven images. This was Pilate directly putting graven images into their sacred temple. So what did Caiaphas, the high priest, the leadership of the temple do? He had 2,000 of his people surround the palace for six days and nights in prayer. And Pilate, seeing this, says, you better take them away or I will kill every single one of them. And upon hearing this, every single one of them dropped to their knees, stuck their neck out, and was ready to die. So they called Pilate's bluff. So he backed down thinking, if I kill these 2,000, there's far more that will rise up, and I will have a riot and a disaster on my hands. So he loses in humiliation, pulls the graven images out of the temple. Second, tries to go a bit of a benevolent route. Jerusalem was in need of fresh water. So he built an aqueduct for them. Well, that's nice, right? Well, except he raided the treasury of the temple in order to pay for it. Well, they didn't like that either. So there was a riot, a revolt, an uprising against that. People died. And Pilate was just able to quell the riot and was strongly rebuked by his Roman leadership. So Pilate is fragile. He's just hoping to get through so he can get somewhere else. And he's got to get through this Passover, what will become this Easter, this gathering of Jews, where the city swells by three to four times, if not more because of Passover, a required festival day for them to be in Jerusalem. So Jesus now, having gone through what he had been through, 
the morning of Good Friday, is now brought before Pilate. And so they have this conversation about who is king and of what. Listen again. Ask him, Pilate asks him straight out, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers, do you ask this on your own or do others tell you about it? Pilate says, I, I, have nothing, I don't know anything about you, buddy. I'm not a Jew. I don't, I don't know any of this business. I'm just trying to sort it out and figure it out. Are you a king? The code of that is, are you a threat to my monarchy, to, to my rule, and a threat to Caesar, the emperor? Are you a threat? And Jesus says, uh, my kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Jesus says that twice in that little segment. My kingdom is not of here, not from here. And so technically, Pilate would think, well, he's no threat to me. I don't know what kingdom he's talking about. I don't know where he is talking about. But if he's not a threat to Caesar and my, my rule here, then I, I really have no issue with this man. And so we asked him again, well, you said kingdom, so, are, so you were a king? And Jesus, in wonderful and confusing fashion, says, you say that I am a king. And for this I was born and came into the world. One of the few times Jesus refers to his own birth, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. So what we have is two rulers of different kingdoms. We have Pilate who represents the ruling of the world, and Caesar who is emperor over all of it, and then Jesus who is king of this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven that's somewhere else maybe? And it is God's kingdom versus the earthly kingdom. How many times do we follow other kings in this world? Think for a minute. How many kings or claim, how many people in this earth claim the title of king in some way? Let's take political kings out of it. Let's take monarchies out of it. Who claims to be king of this or king of that? Think about it. And give me something when you got it. Who is king of what on this earth? What's that? God is king of everything, right? That is Christ's world and realm. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, the king. King James, the king. King of the basketball and sport world. Yeah, what else? Elvis, did I hear it? Oh. As I said, 845, it's hard for me every year on this Sunday not to talk about Elvis, but I have a little quick one for you. <laughs> not singing it. Don't worry. I know some of you just had breakfast, and I don't, don't want to upset you. So Elvis, on December 4th, that is a week from this Saturday, will auction off his crown 
in a Hollywood memorabilia auction. It has traveled around, it used to be with the family, and has moved around from different owners and will be auctioned off a week from Saturday, so those of you Elvis fans have an opportunity to get it. Now, when you think of a crown that Elvis wears, can you think of a time, a concert, a venue, even pictures of him wearing a crown? Well, I can't. And it's because the crown we're talking about is a crown on his tooth. That is correct. His tooth with his crown in it and on it, a dental crown, will be auctioned off. I know, I know it. You are right to be disgusted and overwhelmed at it all. How much does he, how much is he seen as a king that we would buy his tooth? with a very different crown in it. Starts at 2,500, just to give you all some idea. Again, a week from Saturday, if somebody buys it, just let me know so I can circle back around. Elvis the king. Michael Jackson, the king of pop, right? Any other kings that y'all can think of? Well, that's good, that's enough. For those of us who wield power which is all of us, we are the kings of some part of our life. We may not look at it that way, because even those of us with the least amount of power wield some amount of power, whether that's because of our job and our place, whether that's with our friends or our family or our organizations or our church or the neighborhood or any of it. We are all given power of some degree, and how we wield it shows who we are and what we believe. And as those who are called to stand in for Christ, others are watching us in every interaction. And if we wield and abuse our power, even in our small ways, people see that and people know that does not build this kingdom that Christ is talking about. Think about, and let's go back to the Revolutionary War. George Washington, hero. General George Washington would be a shoe-in for what? King or emperor. King George III thought, certainly this General Washington is going to step up and crown himself king or emperor as many in that time wanted him to be, because that's the model they were used to. And when Washington did not, he refused and declined his military commission and said, I'm going back to Mount Vernon to be a farmer. Think about the power that he could have amassed. Think about what would have become if he said, yes, I will be a king, and we started another monarchy, that which we sought to get away from in the first place. He had that power and put it down for the sake of something new and bringing in other leaders and doing things together instead of a monarchy. The power and the way that each of us have and the way that we wield it says something about who we are. 
When we give up power, it shows the power that we follow. Sometimes you give up power because it might help the process a little better. Maybe if you share in your duties and burdens, that that power can be used in new and different ways. It's not always the case, but sometime it will be. And our challenge is of the, as those who stand in for Christ on this earth is to know how to best use the power given to us so that we can stand in for Christ. Now Christ ascended, the Holy Spirit descended and is still with us today. But God has chosen to work through us to continue to build this kingdom. So preacher, if Christ is king, why isn't this kingdom done? Kings get stuff done. Why isn't this realm, whatever he's talking about, why isn't this kingdom of heaven on earth done? Because we are unfinished people that lead to an unfinished kingdom. The big picture is we're looking ahead for the second coming for God to redeem all things, make all things new. And in the interim, from the time that Christ was born until he comes again, we are standing in for Christ. And we need not be caught on the sideline not building the kingdom. So as we move forward today, I want you to remember that we have an awesome calling to stand in for Christ. That is almost overwhelming. But we do it and start in small ways, the way that we wield our power, the way that we treat others, and the hard work of kingdom building, which takes time, but is our call. One way that we respond to this amazing gift of Christ as our King, who is the bringer of light over all darkness, who gives us hope in the, the deepest despair, who when you look at this earth and you think, how much longer can we endure this? Things are getting worse and worse. I'm in a horrible place. The world is in a horrible place. The country is in a horrible place. Christ will redeem us and we can trust him on that. 